So we're in this series called Made For More, and I think there's two ways we can look at that title, Made For More. The first way is it's that idea that our best is yet to come, that God has this potential for us, and if we're able to step into that potential, we'll see Him do something extraordinary in our lives. I actually don't want to take it that route, though, because I think that the second way we can look at it is that it's a challenge, not an encouragement, but it's actually a call to something greater than what we're currently living, that God doesn't just want more for us, but he actually wants more from us. So that's what I actually want to unpack a little bit and explore here tonight. So I've titled this message, Unashamed Courage. So that's what I want to explore. I don't know about you, but I like the idea of unashamed courage in my life. So that's what we're going to unpack. What does it look like to live a life of unashamed courage? And our key verse for tonight is 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. And I bet this is a verse that many of us have heard before. For the Spirit of God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. This is that verse that you memorize, you know, in Sunday school. It's that verse that you quote to people, and it's that bumper sticker verse, right? I was talking to someone just the other day, and they were telling me how it's their mum's life verse. Um, we gravitate towards verses like this because they're encouraging, they're inspiring. But oftentimes, I think in doing so, we can actually miss what they're saying and what they're actually about. And I think that's what happens with this verse quite often. Because once we actually understand what it's about, we see it's not even an encouragement, it's actually a challenge. So I want to unpack that here tonight. So I want to understand a little bit more about 2 Timothy, this, this book that we're exploring in this series, because I would argue that 2 Timothy is the most significant letter in the New Testament. The reason for that is, well, Paul, he's writing it to Timothy. He's a young pastor of the church of Ephesus, and he's writing this letter from prison. Now, strangely enough, that wasn't unusual for Paul. He wrote a lot of his letters from prison. But the significance comes in the fact that Paul was writing this letter from death row. He was writing it probably just days away from his execution. So this was Paul's final letter to Timothy, but also to the church. So I think that when we read this, there's a weight in these words. There's this tone and this urgency that we read that we don't just see in any of the other letters. So I want to start in verse 4 where it says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands in Paul's final letter to both Timothy, but in essence to the church, he starts by reminding and challenging Timothy that he has to actively pursue the gift of God in his life if he actually wants to see the work of the Spirit unfold. And I think that's a really important reminder because we can all become complacent. We can all fall into this mindset that God will do what God wants to do. And that the Spirit of God, um, the Spirit, what He desires to be done, it will be done. And we can miss the fact that He invites us into that process. That there's actually a part that we have to play in seeing the Spirit do work in our lives. And last week, Anna, she unpacked the different spiritual gifts 
that God gives us. And what I want to do tonight is I just want to focus on what Timothy's gift was and understand a little bit more about that because Paul actually tells us what that gift is in the next verse, in verse 7, where it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So what we see here is that Paul is saying, fan into flame the gift of unashamed courage to speak openly about Jesus, even in the face of suffering. That's what Timothy's gift was. And Paul is saying, you have to pursue that. You've got to be active in that. And that's not just the theme right here in these verses. In chapter one, I would argue that is the theme of 2 Timothy. Because we see it repeated again and again and again. I just want to read you a few verses that explore all of 2 Timothy here. Where it says in verse uh, chapter um, 2 verse 3, it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In 2.9 it says, I'm suffering for the gospel bound with chains as a criminal. In 2.10 it says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. In 2.12 it says, if we endure we also reign with him. In 2.15, it says, do your best to present yourself a worker who has no need to be ashamed. In 2.24, it says, and the Lord's servant must patiently endure evil. In 3.1, it says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. In 3.10, it says, you have followed my persecutions and sufferings. In 3.12, it says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In 4.5, it says, as for you, endure suffering. 4.6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. In 4.7, I have fought the good fight. And 4.16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. What an encouraging book. <laughs> Does anyone want to pick one of those as life verses? But that's what 2 Timothy is about. Thing is, if you want a safe, secure, untroubled, enjoyable life, maybe you shouldn't be a Christian because that's not what God promises us. What does He promise us? Freedom, salvation, redemption, and ultimately eternal life. But for the here and now, He says, You will suffer for my sake. Following Jesus is hard. And the, the better we're doing it, the harder it should actually be. So here we have Paul talking to Timothy and he's saying, stand up with an unashamed courage to speak openly about Jesus, irrespective of the suffering and the hardship that you might encounter. And I don't think that's just a challenge for Timothy, but I think that is a challenge to each and every one of us as Christians. So how do we do that? Where do we even begin to start with that kind of unashamed courage? Well, I think we can start by actually looking at chapter 1, verse 7. For the Spirit gave us not a, for God gave us not a spirit of fear. So if God didn't give us fear, where does the fear come from? The fear comes from us. 
and it can hinder the work of the Spirit in our lives. And I don't think that's a revelation. I think that we all know that. I mean, how many times has fear stopped us from saying something, doing something, praying something that we know God wants us to? It was just... um, a month or two ago that I saw this take place. Um, what I do in my work is one day I'm a teacher at Foundry. And at Foundry, what we do when we have a new intake of students, we do this little short introduction to ourselves. We explain what we do um, outside of Foundry and how it relates to the subject that we're teaching, all those kinds of things. So I made a commitment that I wanted to be more transparent about my faith. So in that introduction, I was going to make a point of saying, I'm a Christian. Why? Because that informs almost every part of my life. It influences how I speak, how I act. So why wouldn't I mention it? So I'm doing this introduction and I'm sharing, you know, what I do and all those sorts of things. And it comes to that moment where I'm going to say I'm a Christian. And as I'm about to say the words, I just stop and they just can't come out. Like, I just don't know what happened. Because fear, it can be paralyzing in moments like that. And it can actually stop the Spirit of God being able to work in our lives. If the Spirit doesn't work from a place of fear, what does He work from? When the rest of the verse, we find that out, where it says, in power, love, and of a sound mind. So I want to explore those for a little bit here tonight. Power. This is something we always talk about when we talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in each of us. How much do we believe that? And yet, how often do we wonder why we don't see it in our lives? Why is that? In um, Paul's, uh, when Paul was addressing what the the world looks at as their achievements and what the world considers to be their greatest successes, this is what he said about himself in 2 Corinthians. He said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored, I've toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger, thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure and my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Why? In the next chapter, he tells us. He says, in chapter 12, verse 9, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, there's that word again, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, what Paul understood was that in the trial, in the environments of difficulty and hardship, that that's where he saw the power of God work in the most extraordinary ways. 
Why? Because it's in our weakness that we allow room for God to move. And I wonder how much of our life looks like that. How much of our life is stepping into the uncomfortable, stepping into the environments where we're way out of our depth, anticipating what the power of God will do in those situations, because that is the kind of life that Paul lived, as we just read there. And as a result, again and again and again, he saw the power of God show up in extraordinary ways. And I believe if we create opportunities, we will see the same take place in our own lives. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. What does it mean to operate from a spirit of love? I told this story um, a couple of months ago at morning service. So if you're here, you might just have to hear it again. But I think it's so appropriate um, for this point. And a, a couple of months ago, Jesse and I, we were driving along and we came to this intersection. And a man in a wheelchair, he was crossing the road and you could see he was struggling on the other side. He was struggling to get up the slope. And without a second thought, Jesse, she says... I think he needs help. I should get out. I should help him. And then me without a second thought, I'm like, hold on. Let's just evaluate the options. Um, Because I had some good reasons why maybe we shouldn't do that. Like, we might offend him. um, Or by the time we get out there, he's actually probably going to be completely fine. Whereas when we actually look at what was taking place, my reaction was just driven from a place of comfort. Hers was driven from a place of love. So it didn't take us long to realize who was right. And she hopped out and she went and asked if he needed any help. And he politely said no. Um, And he explained that he is trying to build up muscle because he's recently been in an accident that put him in that chair. He's just heading up to the bus stop up the road. So Jesse asked, well, would you like me to walk, walk with you? And he said, I'd love that. So over the course of this five to 10 minute walk, they had a conversation where he opened up about the struggles that he's had since that accident and how he struggles with purpose and seeing his place in this world now that he's in that chair. And then he asked Jesse what her views on purpose are and opened the door to her being able to share about a God who she believes sees us in our brokenness and our weakness and wants to use us in that and had this amazing, incredible opportunity to minister into someone's life. Why? Because she was motivated by love. And I believe that if we're motivated by love, we will see some amazing opportunities placed before us. And you know, this isn't something that comes naturally for me. So what I've started doing is each and every day, I I pray, God, increase my love for humanity. So that I can be motivated from a place of love, not a place of my own pride, but just a complete care for those around me. Help me to see people as you see them. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And the last is a sound mind. What's interesting about this this term here, sound mind, is the Greek word that gets translated to this 
term is only used once in the Bible right here. It's not used anywhere else. And it translates to careful, considerate thinking. It speaks into our thoughts, clarity of mind. And what does it mean to have that kind of clarity of mind? I love in Philippians, Paul, he addresses this. In chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is saying, center yourself on what is good, what is righteous, because that is where we find our peace. So doesn't it make sense then that if that is where we find our peace, that the greatest thief of peace in our life will be what is not good, what is not righteous, or in simple terms, sin. That that unforgiveness, that relenting addiction, that habit of gossip, whatever it is for you, they ultimately just rob us of peace in our lives and in turn being fully available to the work of the Spirit and what God wants to do through us. So I wonder, what would it look like what, to ask the question, what is the greatest thief of peace in your life? For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I don't know about you, but I just think when it, when we stop to align our hearts and our minds to the same characteristics of the spirit that's already in us, power, love, peace, that that makes sense, that that will be where we see God do the most amazing works in and through us. I believe that's why Paul here in this letter is challenging Timothy in this. He's saying, Pursue these things because that is where you will see God work through you in the most extraordinary ways. But why? To what end? What's it all about? Paul, he doesn't let Timothy forget that. He puts a focus on that. And I just want to invite the team up as I finish here. But there's one last piece of the puzzle and it's so important and we can't miss it. And we see it in verse 8 where it says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He saved us. He's called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace, it was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, He's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is what it's all about. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. 
So this is what he says to Timothy. What you have heard from me, all these things, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit. What is the good deposit? It is the gospel, the message of Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He's saying, stand up with an unashamed courage in the face of suffering, in the face of the worst trials that this world could throw at you. Why? To speak openly about Jesus because this world needs that message. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of unashamed courage. And I believe that is a gift available to each and every one of us. And I believe it is a gift that each and every one of us should pursue. Why? Because in Paul's final letter to Timothy and to the church, that was the key message. That was the focus that he wanted us to see. So doesn't that make sense that that should be something that we prioritize in our lives? So as we finish here tonight, I want to invite everyone to stand. And I want to invite us, give you an opportunity to take the first step into that kind of courage. Because how did it start for Timothy? It started with prayer. In verse six, we see, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. In 1 Timothy, we get this image in chapter four of Timothy sitting down as the elders gather around him and they pray and they prophesy over his life that they would see this gift of courage come out and rise up in him. And it did. And Paul in 2 Timothy, he's just encouraging him to continue to fan that flame, that gift that's already there. So where did it start? It started with prayer. So I wanna pray here tonight. And if you're wanting to take that step into that unashamed courage, that opportunity is here for you tonight. So I wanna invite everyone to close their eyes, to bow their heads. And if you say, yeah, Yeah, that's me. I I don't want to be held back by fear anymore, but I want to stand up with an unashamed courage to speak openly about Jesus to my family, to my friends, to my work colleagues, to complete strangers, even in the face of hardship and difficulty. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand here tonight. And I'm going to pray a prayer that that kind of courage would descend on each and every one here tonight. God, I thank you right now for each and every heart before me that wants to make a declaration to say, I'm here in this life for you. That is why I exist, to see your kingdom extended. And I pray right now for courage in each one to rise up. God, a courage that is greater than fear. God, a passion of fire in their lives to see people encounter you that could be greater than any fear they could ever experience. God, I pray for opportunities to present themselves where we are able to step into the uncomfortable. God, where we are able to see your power move in our weakness. God, I pray for a love to rise up in our hearts, a desire to see people connected with you because we know the hope that that brings. And God, we pray for peace 
right now, God, that anything that is holding us back from fully stepping into the life that you have for us, that it would fall right now in the name of Jesus, God, and that we would have full clarity of mind and we will be able to fully step into that unashamed courage that you have for us here tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.